but it reminds me of a story that I heard, a true story, and it's, a, it's regarding Elizabeth Dole and her husband, Senator Robert Dole. Well, apparently a magazine wanted to do a, an interview with them and do a photo shoot while they were there. And at the time, Elizabeth Dole was a, a Secretary of Transportation in the Reagan administration, and Robert Dole was a senator. Anyway, so this magazine comes out, and they do the shoot. And they've got these pictures of the two of them, you know, doing different things together. And one of the pictures was, here's Robert Dole and Elizabeth Dole making the bed together. So they're standing there, and there's pictures in this national magazine. Well, anyway, what happens is a couple of people, men, were offended by that. And this one guy wrote the senator a letter. And he said, how dare you be caught making the bed with your wife, doing a woman's task. You're supposed to be a man. You're supposed to represent the men of this country. You're supposed to be a senator. You're supposed to be, and just ripped him. I mean, just ripped this guy. And uh, just went on and on, just ripped into him for making the bed and, of all things, allowing somebody to take a picture of it for a national magazine. So Bob Dole wrote this guy back and he said, Dear sir, you don't even know the half of it. The only reason Elizabeth was helping me was because a photographer was there. (laughs) So whatever. So, Doug, you just keep doing those dishes, bud. Don't you worry about it. Hey, I've deliberately chosen to uh, conclude this series that we've uh, been going through with one of the most, I think, one of the most encouraging and what could be one of the most liberating truths in all the Bible. And uh, ironically, it also has uh, created more disturbance and maybe even stress uh, than any other biblical truth. And basically, to ask it would be asked this way. Here's the question. Can a Christian ever lose his or her salvation? Can a Christian ever lose his or her salvation? That question has created more stress than any other biblical truth that I know of. Can a Christian lose his or her salvation? I believe if it's possible, I lost mine Thursday night. When I was working on a faucet under the sink. (laughs) Gone. You know what I mean? I mean, how many of you lost yours this week? (laughs) I mean, I was doing so good for that first hour and a half. I really was. I mean, that's like an hour and 25 minutes longer than I would have done, like, you know... 15 years ago, so God's still at work in my life. But man, I hate doing stuff like that. And then you know whose fault it was? It was my wife. <laughs> Why did you get this faucet that I have to crawl under the sink and hook up underneath there? As if there's some other kind of faucet that hangs from the ceiling that you could get to, you know? I mean, plumbers got to be little people. There's like a garbage disposal under there. There's a, we had a water purifying system with hoses running all over. Life support systems for the whole house are underneath the sink. And about an hour and a half into this thing, I was going, And then God spoke to me. He said, hey, I'm just giving you another illustration. You know, I don't know how these guys do it that read them in books. 
Oh, illustrate. Need an illustration for Sunday. What the book of illustrations. Let's get that baby out, you know. Hey, there's nothing like living them, baby. That's all I got to say. <laughs> They're so much more real. But anyway, that's a, I mean, it's a serious question, but one that you have to kind of ask in, in the, that kind of, you know, that sort of manner. Because the, the question is a legitimate question. Can a Christian ever lose his or her salvation? And if so, what will it take? Then I started wrestling with some things. Well, let's see. I had a really kind of bad attitude there. I didn't swear, though. That was pretty good. That was a major improvement in my life. I just want to let you know. That was really good. I didn't swear. Hurt my hand. But I don't know if that will count. You know, and but what about you? See, what do you think that you could do that would cost you that relationship with God? Is it lying? Is it stealing? Is it murder? That's a biggie. You know, see, is it, uh, is it adultery? Is it a divorce? Is it smoking? Is it drinking? Is it going to movies? Is it smoking, drinking, chewing, or running with girls who do? <laughs> you know, what is it? Is it gossiping? Is it envy? Is it slander? Is it uh, lust? Is it bad language? What do you think will do it? That's an important question to ask. Because one thing that I can't get around, that I keep going over and over again, is to, to God, sin is sin. But to us, somehow we've we've quantified them as big ones and little ones. Maybe little ones don't offend God as much as big ones do. And yet sin is sin. So as we ask this question and go through it, basically you have to rephrase it. It's not so much can a Christian ever lose his or her salvation, but it becomes an issue of can a person who has been born again into the family of God that has received a new nature a new life has been justified and has been sealed by the Holy Spirit, can that individual ever become unsaved by not believing anymore or by doing or not doing something? That is one of the most profound questions I think that we have to address in, in this whole topic of standing firm. Because what I want to do is I want to answer that question. So that we can stand firm on life assurance. And what I mean by that, so you can hang in there during tough times. So that you don't start doubting your relationship with God because your performance isn't what you expect it to be. Or what you think He wants it to be. And I know, as I got frustrated under the sink, there wasn't a whole lot that I was thinking that was glorifying to God. I know that. Does that disqualify me from spending eternity with them? Some of you have struggled in far more serious areas of life. And I mean that only from the standpoint that the implications have been greater because of the nature and type of thing that you've been involved in. The consequences are sometimes more severe. We do things publicly 
that if we did privately don't have the same implications, right? And there's a greater and more severe set of consequences that go along with it. But even the severity of the consequences here on earth, does that somehow or another disqualify you from spending eternity with God? And that's the issue that we'll take a look at. And, and uh, I saw a cartoon recently. You know, with, with all the rains we've been having and all the flooding and everything, it was a, a Peanuts cartoon, Charles Schultz uh, cartoon. And uh, it kind of puts everything into focus for me because Lucy and Linus are standing, standing near the window and they're staring out the window. And Lucy looks out the window and, and she's got this real distressed look on her face. And she said, boy, she said, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? And Linus is standing in the background and he, and he says, well, it'll never do that. Because uh, in Genesis chapter 9, God promised Noah that he'd never flood the world again. In fact, he even gave us a sign of his promise and that's what the rainbow is. And so Lucy looks back out the window again and, and as she listened to what he's saying, she looks back out the window and she said, Man, you know what? That sure takes a load off my mind. <laughs> and Linus looks back at her and says, Well, you know, sound theology has a way of doing that. <laughs> and I thought, man, that is the greatest truth that there is. Sound theology has a way of liberating us from the things that want to keep us captive. Sound biblical theology not what you think, not what you've heard, not what you believe to be the case because of whatever reasons. Not because you think things are big and things are little. Not because our society reinforces that thought value or that, that thought process and the value system. Because society says some, some things are bigger and some things are little and they base it on the amount of time that you'll spend in prison or whatever it is. Just because society does that doesn't mean that's God's view of it. And so sound theology, sound biblical instruction will free you up. And we need it more in this area than any other area that I've ever been associated with in the, um, since I became a Christian in 1978. This is something that will set you free if you understand it. And so what I want to do is there's the, probably the, the best place to start is just talk about the foundation I mean, we, we have to talk about some crucial factors as they uh, affect our salvation. Because if we're going to lose our salvation, the thing that we need to understand is how we get it to begin with. How we receive it, how, how we enter into this relationship with God, how we are sure that we have eternal life, how we know we're going to be with God in heaven the moment that we die. We need to understand how that comes about, because if we're going to lose something, you need to know how you got it before you can know how you lose it. It's as simple as that. And so as we go through it, what I want to do is just share a couple of facts with you. And uh, the first thing that we need to understand is a very simple one. And that is, as we go through this, we need to realize uh, that we have in mind an individual who is truly born again. We need to understand that we have in mind, you cannot lose something if you've never received it. And so we need to keep in mind and keep focused that we're talking about a person who has received eternal life. Not a person who professes to, but a person who possesses it. Not 
professors, but possessors. And having gone through the education processes I have, there's probably not a whole lot of professors who are possessors. <laughs> but uh, that was just a little slam to the academic world, in case you weren't following there for a sec. Just kidding, there probably are a couple, maybe one. Hey, we're not talking about people who profess to be Christians. We're talking about people who possess eternal life. And the reason I say this is very simple. No church going, no owl walking, no card signing, no baptism, no religious affiliation, no giving money, no doing good things, no acts on our part will ever, ever substitute for being born again. That's as simple as it gets. It was funny, we were talking about it the other day in a Bible study I was leading. And uh, the question was, you've got a person who wants to ask Jesus Christ into their life and they get out of their seat and they start walking down the aisle. At what point in that process are they born again? Is it when you reach the third out, the third row from the end? Is it when you come all the way down and you get down to the front and if you kneel down? Or does God know your heart to where even before you get up, He's prompted you by His Holy Spirit to receive His gift even as you sit in the seat? At what point is a person born again? Some would argue, well, it doesn't really take place until actually you can walk down the aisle and you can pray to receive Christ and you can sign a card, you can do all that, but it really doesn't take place until you're baptized. Oh, really? See, because God knows our heart. He knows whether you baptize with, with a dirty heart. doesn't matter. All you do is you go in a dry center, you come out a wet center. And the rest of the world sitting in there going, Oh, good, he was baptized. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, gee whiz, you know what? Who are we kidding? At what point does that happen? So none of that stuff, no hand raising, no aisle walking, no church affiliation, no giving money, none of that stuff substitutes what the Bible says as far as being born again. And this is very simple. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. I just want to let the Bible speak on this issue. Let's let God speak on the issue. Try to sell you on anything. You tell me what this says. And this is the testimony. This is the testimony. The sworn deposition of Almighty God. You solemnly swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you yourself. And God says, I do. The sworn testimony of God Almighty, who says this, and this is my testimony, that I have given you eternal life, and this life is in my Son. And he who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. Then it goes on to saying these things I've written to you, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's what the Bible says. Now the question is, how do we receive eternal life? God has given it to us, but He's given it to us in His Son. If you want eternal life, you cannot get it apart and aside from a personal knowledge and reception and belief and trust and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you do not have eternal life. That is what the Bible says. 
And he also says this. You know what? Then I, then I start wrestling with this. Well, wait a minute. What kind of life is this that he's giving? Eternal life. Well, how long is eternity? Man, this freed me up under the sink. Why? Because he's saying, hey, you know what? And this is the testimony that I've given you somewhat temporary life. I've given you partial eternal life. I've given you a little piece of it. But it all depends on what you do with it, whether you get the rest of it. He says, I've given you eternal life for all of eternity. Life for eternity. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? In Greek, it means it's a long time. It's a long time. It's forever. And how long does he give it to us? Forever. When does he give it to us? The moment that we receive his son. For he who has the Son has life for eternity. Eternal life. Forever. Then he goes on, and we see this in Titus 3, 5 through 7. See, according to what the Bible teaches, he has saved us not because of righteous things which we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now the question is, how do we receive it? How do we get it? You know one of the questions? You want to ask God a question? Why me? Why me? But you know what? Don't even have to ask Him that. Because He already told us why, why us. Because He chose that. And also because of this. He's poured out to us His Spirit. But because of His mercy. Why me? Because God's merciful. Why you? Because God's merciful. Why did He choose you? When you didn't deserve it? Because He wanted to. That's why. See? He saved us not because of all the things we did. Not because of the good stuff. Not because of things, things we call good. Not because of a righteous deed of walking down front or a righteous deed of signing a card or a righteous deed of even praying a prayer. No, that's not how he saved us. He saved us because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. For it's by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. So none of us could ever brag before anybody else that we're right with God because we're good. No, I'm sorry. We're not good. There's nothing righteous. No, not one of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None are righteous. No, not one. That's what the Bible says. None of us deserve to spend eternity with God. Not one of us. But God has chosen through Jesus Christ, our Savior, to pour His grace out upon us who receive His gift. So what we're talking about here is we're talking about a person who has been truly born again according to what the Bible teaches. See, it's a person who is saved and right with God according to God's definition and not according to the world any world definition. That's the first thing that we need to understand. It becomes critical and a foundation to understanding what He's saying. Now also we need to remember this. 
The subject is eternal security and not temporal carnality. See, we're not dealing with God's discipline of His kids when they rebel and they go their own direction. We're not dealing with that at all. We're dealing with eternal security. We're not dealing with you know, temporal carnality. Temporal carnality. What's it mean to be carnal? Worldly. Worldly. Means uh, living a life to please yourself or the world that we live in rather than to please God. It means kind of slipping up and making mistakes. It means doing things that don't glorify God. It means uh, sinning and falling short of what God says the standard is. God says, do this, be honest, and we lie. That's being carnal. God says, be angry in a righteous way, but not unrighteously. And we flip somebody off on the freeway. That's falling a little bit short of what God's standard is. You know, God says, be honest and work hard, just a touch short. Be honest and, 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 uh, be honest and work hard. And we say, no, I think I'm going to steal. That falls short of God's standard. Uh, God says, hey, husbands, love your wives. And I say, well, I don't think I want to today. That falls short. That's being carnal. That's not living a lifestyle that's pleasing to God. And on and on and on it goes. God says, hey, make sure your thoughts are pure thoughts and you're lusting after someone. God says, that's not right. God says, be careful about those things in your life. And we fall a little bit short of what God's standard is. That's being carnal. That's being uh, fleshly, the Bible says. And in fact, here's what we see happening in the church at Corinth in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians. Paul writes this. He says, Hey, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. You're mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, but you are not ready for it. He says, Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Isn't that a problem that's associated with the world that we live in? Petty jealousies and quarreling and fighting and in-house and backstabbing and, and cutting each other's throats and, and doing what you got to do to get ahead and using other people and stepping on the body so you can climb higher. Isn't that all part of what the world system is? And he says, of course it is. And he says, I can't even talk to you as grown spir- spiritually because you're not. You're still little babies. Now, it's interesting to me. Because what I found is people who claim that you can somehow lose this eternal relationship with God have no place in their theology for carnal Christians. Think about that for a second. Think about that. Think about how true that is for a second. Because if we can lose our salvation when we are doing whatever it is that they think that it is, you come up with it. The biggest, baddest thing you could ever think of doing. If you did that, I know I'd be wrong before God. All right? Then we see people who do that. And they say, hmm, they lost their salvation. Then we see them repent and start living a life pleasing God again. Then they say, well, when they repented, that's when they were saved. And then a couple years go by and they screw up in another area or even the same area and they do it again. They lost their salvation again. Did they have it? Did they lose it? Did they not have it? They don't know. Because there's no room in that theology for people who mess up. There's no room in that theology for people to go through a growth experience with the Lord. There's no room in that theology when the Bible says, He who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ. There's no room for that theolo- in that theology. There's no room to grow up in Christ. But we know what Paul says? Hey, listen. <laughs> You're just babes. And he says, like newborn babes, that Peter writes, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that in it you will grow and respect your salvation. You'll learn now how to live as a believer, though you are a believer. 
Though you are a babe in Christ, you've come to know Christ, you've been born into the family of God, you're a child now, you're a baby. And now you need to grow up. But you know how you do it? Well, you better long for the milk of the Word, man. You better get into the Word of God so you can learn and, 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 and learn and grow. So you can learn what it means to live a life that's pleasing to God. But see, in the person that says you can lose your, your salvation, there's no room in that theology at all for growth. There's no room for failure. And so I look at this and I begin to realize, you know what? It's important to realize that, hey, just because our kids are disobedient to us, that never removes them from our family. Ever. Now, we may say, I don't know whose kids these are. <laughs> They're your kids. You know, we may say things like that, but the reality it is, it doesn't matter what my kids do. It doesn't matter what direction they go. They will always be the kids that God has given us. Period. Whether they're in rebellion or whether they're in absolute obedience. Whether they love me or they can't stand to be around me. It doesn't change that they're my kids. That's important to understand. Because that principle applies in what we're talking about. They will always be our kids. And guess what? We need to recognize and focus on what God has done for us and not on what we have done for God. On what God has done for us. And this is foundational truth. This is the truth. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. Romans 5.8 While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners. You know, it's so funny to talk to people and say, well, you know what, I need to clean up my act so I can be right with God. No, your act is exactly where it's supposed to be. That's exactly... I mean, you, you sin because you're a sinner. You do wrong because that's your nature. Because it's natural. It comes naturally. And that's what amazes me. You know what just fries me about Christians is, you expect non-Christians to live like Christians. And you struggle even living like you're supposed to. And you've got the power of the Holy Spirit and you've got the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life to give you the strength, to give you self-control, to, to give you peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control, all these things, the fruit of the Spirit. We have the ability to live as God wants us to because He's given us the strength to do so and yet we still struggle, struggle and stumble sometimes and we look at a person that doesn't have that nature and expect them to keep up with that standard. Impossible. It's impossible. You know what? And so instead of dealing with the symptoms, let's get to the root. We need to introduce them to Jesus Christ who can transform their life and make them into somebody new. Give them a new nature. If any man's in Christ, old things pass away. All things become new. Introduce them to Christ and allow Jesus to change their life from the inside out. And that he'll take care of the symptoms when the root problems resolve. There's nothing more frustrating to me than a bunch of Christians going around telling non-Christians they need to be doing this and not doing that. And all it does is it changes one area of their life, but they're still lost for all of eternity. So What? What have we done for them? We haven't done anything for them. We've just confused them into believing that somehow they can live a life that's better and more pleasing to God. And they can't. So let's get off the, the side issues here and get down to the root problem. Don't deal with what they're involved in because what they're going to be involved in is a myriad of things. Deal with the heart. Have you ever come to the point where you've trusted in Jesus Christ? No? Would you like to? Because there's no sense in talking about all the other issues in their life. It really isn't. It makes no difference. 
So if they stop running around or they move out of their girlfriend's house or they you know, stop drinking, they start giving money to poor, they start doing all this, so what? It doesn't make them any more right with God. See, that goes back to the first point. We're talking about people who have truly been born again, who have come to a place where they've received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So we need to remember it's what God has done for us and not what we have done for God, which leads to the most obvious question. And that is very simply this. Can the work of God be undone? You follow what I'm saying here? Can the work of God be undone? It's not my work that made me right with God. It's not your work that made you right with God. It's not your performance that made you right with God. It's not the things that you did or did not do that made you right with God. It's what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and our receiving that that makes us right with God. So this is the statement. Ask yourself this. Since my security depends on what God has done for me through Christ, then various works of God would have to be undone or reversed if I could ever lose my salvation. And the kicker is this. And the Bible, I believe, would certainly declare it. Think about that. My security depends on what God has done for me through Christ. Okay? Salvation through Christ. Salvation through His death on the cross. Not my effort. Alright? It's a gift. Lest any of us could ever brag. It's God's gift to us. Now, if I could ever lose my salvation, you think this thing through, then somehow God must reverse the process. He has to take back His gift. He has to say, I gave it to you, I changed my mind. I've given you eternal life but it really wasn't eternal. I only gave it to you for a little bit to, to mess with your head. This tease you a little bit. So I've given it to you, but now I'm going to take it back. I've forgiven you for all of eternity, for everything that you've ever done, past, present, and future. The, the blood of Christ on the cross has cleansed us from all of that. Past, present, and future. Even things that we haven't done yet, it's still taken care of. But what he's saying is, oh, but you know what, though? I really didn't forgive you. I take that back. You know what our problem is? I believe it's this. We live in a society today that you can't believe a thing anybody says. And as a result, you know what we do? We carry that into our relationship with God. If I say that I'll be there at 11 o'clock, I'll be there at 11 o'clock. If I tell you that I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something. I promised you that, I'm following through. Wouldn't it be a lot easier to believe God if we could believe one another? Wouldn't it? See, so when God tells me He gave me eternal life, I say, you know what, I'm not real sure whether He did or not because I can't believe anything anybody tells me. Because I live in a world of people who just let me down all the time. They say one thing and do another thing. Maybe I'm guilty of it myself. You know what I meant. It's kind of like California time. Well, you know, whatever. You know what I meant. I mean, it was like, I, well, I know I said I'd be there, you know, but you know what I meant. 
No, I didn't know what you meant. I thought you meant what you said. If you didn't mean what you said, why'd you say it? Well, you know, because I don't really take too serious the things that I say. <laughs> well, then I guess we shouldn't either, huh? <laughs> I mean, think about it for a second. Did you mean what you said or didn't you? And if you didn't mean what you said, then don't say it. What are you doing? You lying? You misleading people? What's the problem? Say what you mean. Speak the truth. And I guarantee you this, it sure be a lot easier to believe the things of God when we can start believing one another. But you know what, though? Whether we ever speak the truth or not, whether we ever can believe each other or not, doesn't mean we can't believe God. Because God is trustworthy. And the reason is very simple. God can't lie. It's against His character. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. If He said He gave you eternal life, He gave you eternal life. He didn't say, well, I gave you a conditional life. I gave it to you. And I said it, you believe it. God said it, I believe it. And that's it. Get the bumper stickers out. Put them on your car. Because it's going to help you understand what we're talking about here. If God said it, He said it. If He means it, He means it. Whether you and I can trust one another or not, it doesn't change the truth of the Word of God. And so as we look at this, we begin to realize, you know what? God would have to be, He would have to uh, be a liar. Hebrews 10, 14 says this, For by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are set apart for His purposes. By one offering, by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, by that one offering is perfected for all of eternity those whom he is going to set aside for himself. One offering for all of eternity. Jesus said it best on the cross. It is finished. It's done. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to take away from it. It's done for all of eternity. He is perfected for all of eternity. That one death was sufficient for all of us. And so I guess what we need to do is we need to listen and understand something. When you start questioning whether you are eternally secure and somehow you may lose that relationship based on your performance, you know what you're saying? You're saying this. Jesus started it, but somehow I've got to finish it. Right? If it's based on my performance, then all Jesus did, he got the ball rolling and I have to finish it. You know what that also means? It means that he can have some of the glory, but I get some of it too. Because he didn't do it all. I did most of it. I did a lot of it. I did some of it. And that is heresy. And that's a lie. That's a lie. You did none of it. I did none of it. He did all of it. Why? All to the glory of God. He gets all the glory. All of it. Not part of it. Not some of it. He gets all of it. He gets it all. Can the work of God be undone? Then he'd have to somehow or another take it back. And that's impossible. It's impossible. Let's take a couple of minutes. Get your Bibles. I want to go through couple of things with you, and uh, you tell me. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll go through this, and you tell me what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 13. We read this. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. 
And that goes on and talks about the body of Christ, how the body is made up of many, many members. But what he's saying is this. By one spirit, we are baptized into one body. We come, become a part of the body of Christ. Now let me ask you this. What passage do you know or what verse can you tell me or quote me that says that somewhere along the line you get dismembered from the body for poor performance? Anywhere. If you've been baptized in the body of Christ, where in the Bible does it say that it's, a, that it's a conditional baptism into the body of Christ, that if you don't live up to a certain performance, if you don't even exercise your spiritual gifts, which this chapter is going to talk about, if you don't exercise your gift, if you don't do what God has gifted you to do, if you don't do any of those things, and you just kind of ride it out, you know, sit in your chair and never get involved, where does it say that, that He's going to amputate you from the body? Find me a verse. Find me a passage. See, because my argument is very simple. If that was possible, wouldn't God adequately warn us of those truths? I believe that He would. And you go through it. Look at John 6, 37. Let me read this. All that the Father gives to me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. John 6, read it. Because what the people did, they came to Jesus and said, Hey, what are the things we've got to do to be right with God? How do we get into heaven? What are the works that we must do? What, what performance level do we have to maintain? And you know what he did? Very simple. He just said this. Hey, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. That you believe in me. That's all he said. And then he said this. If you've come to me, I will certainly not cast you out. Certainly not cast you out. It's a double negative and it means basically this. The one who comes to me, I will positively and absolutely not throw out. No ifs, ands, buts about it. That's just the way that it is. Ephesians 1.13. Jot these down. Read them for yourself. Ephesians 1.13 and 4.30 says this. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God put his seal on your life the moment you asked Christ into it. He sealed that. He put a seal on there, and it's the Holy Spirit of promise saying that one day He will receive us to Himself. It's a down payment. Literally, it means a down payment. I've given you earnest hand money so that I'm going to fulfill this transaction. And so that you know I'm telling the truth, I'm going to give you evidence of that, and that's the presence of my Spirit within your life, within the life of every believer. I'm sealing you for all of eternity. That's what He said. And in 430, He says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We're sealed by God. He puts his good housekeeping stamp of approval on our life that nobody can mess with. No one can break the seal. Do you remember in the book of Revelation where they were bringing the scrolls out and they were asking oh, throughout all of eternity, who can, who, can, who can open the seal? The only one who could break the seal was the Lord Jesus Christ. He seals you for all of eternity. There's nothing that can break that seal. It's a promise of God. You find me one passage, you find me one verse that says that the seal can be broken. One. Find one. And you go on it. We have to keep in, keep in mind what the... Romans 8.1. Listen to this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no guilt. There is no punishment. We will never be punished for all of eternity. For those who are in Christ. Find me a verse somewhere that says once you're in Christ, you, you can then become out of Christ. For those who are in Christ. And it goes on in Romans 8, which is the greatest passage of all. What shall we then say? The, verses 31 through 39. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. 
Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered to be sheep as slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, nor poor performance, nor anything that you can think of shall ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, it doesn't get any plainer than that to me. John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand, for my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. And that's, I'll tell you what, that is some comfort to me. That is some comfort to me. And I start to realize, too, and some of the things that we've got to understand is that we are saved by God's strength, not our own. We enter into right relationship with God because of the work of Jesus Christ and not our own. It was a work that was perfected, a sacrifice that was perfected at one time for all of time. It's not based on how well you do or how poorly you do. It has nothing to do with it. That's not the issue. Our protection depends on the Father's grip and not on ours. Because I know, sometimes I feel like I'm losing my grip. And I'm sure many of you do too. Salvation is based on Christ's work, on his effort, and not ours. And so, kind of quickly, just to put all this together, I just want to throw out some things to you. Because if it's so clear, then why do so many people have problems with it? Why do people have problems with it? What causes some people to doubt? Let me go through these. Give me a couple minutes. Number one, because there's some problem passages. That's just simple. I mean, you know, it's simple. There are some problem passages. And what I would suggest that you do on problem passages, because there are a few of them, is to read the, the passages very carefully. Interpret the passages as you do with any other scripture that you would read in light of the context in which it was written. Take who it was written to, the setting in which it was written, the problems that were, that were being addressed, and interpret those passages in light of that particular context. It's as simple as that. And it's like anything else. If somebody came to me and said, Jesus was a wimp, I'd say, why do you say that? Because John 11.35 says, Jesus wept. Okay, great. Well, let's interpret it in light of the context. Why did he weep? Well, because he was at a funeral of his friend. Well, that makes him a wimp? Because his heart was broken and he was saddened by the events of of a funeral. Does that make him a wimp or does that make him compassionate? See, how you interpret that is going to be based on what context you try to derive it from. So the problem passages interpreted in light of the context in which they were written. It's as simple as that. And just go through it. And remember this, that God cannot contradict himself. So whatever God is saying, it is in unison with everything else that he says everywhere else in his word. He cannot contradict himself. We cannot build a unicycle theology based on one verse or one passage that says, okay, this is what that means, and discount everything else that is very obviously stated. And so we look at that. But here's the other problem. And that is that I believe many, many people have, have preached or taught that you can lose your salvation because they're afraid that it will give their people liberty to live like hell. And that's too bad. 
Because that's not the truth of the Word of God. Teach it as it is. That's what it says. Now, if there's some da- is there some inherent dangers in that? Of course there are. And so what happens is there's a fear of wrong living that comes into those who teach the Word of God who say, man, but if I teach people that once they've come to the right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that they're secure for that relationship all of their life, they begin to live and they may begin to live and do things that they shouldn't do. And so what we've got to do is we're going to have to distort the Word of God a little bit and scare the heck out of people so that they're just always afraid and so they're always trying to live right. And I say, that's too bad. Because that'd be like me telling my kids, hey, you know what? Even though I know they're always going to be my kids, they're not real sharp yet. And I can tell them, you know what? Hey, look, it all based on your performance, where they're going to, you know, we're going to bring you on next week again. So we'll review it every Friday, okay? You know, we'll review it every Friday. If you had a good week, then we'll, you know, we'll give you another week. You know, like kind of a temporary help. We'll see how you do this week and bring you back next week. And you had a bad week. I'm afraid we're going to have to let you go. See, that's, that's our mentality, but it's all wrong. They're always going to be my kids. So there's no, there's no sense in telling them that they're not going to be based on their performance. I'd rather have them secure in that relationship so if they want to be obedient, they do it because we have a great relationship and we love one another. Not because they're afraid of, you know, what they're doing is right or wrong. There's also this truth. Romans 6 says this. What shall we sin so that God's grace will increase? May it never be. That's nuts. Because remember this. God is not mocked. For God's kids, we do not have the liberty to live any way that we want to live. Because what God will do is, he'll get out the rod and he'll spank your butt. And if you've ever got spanked, man, like my, my son, he, he was great, man. This kid was unbelievable. And what I'd do is, so I could cool off in time, I'd say, hey, Rhino. Go get the paddle. Oh, no! No! Not the paddle! Oh, no! Not the paddle! No! No! Why? Man, because he got a good one a couple of times and that paddle just registered in his mind. That sucker stings. Oh, man, that thing stings. And so I'd say, hey, go get the paddle. He knew. And he'd beg. Oh, please don't, please don't. I was like, please don't bake so loud. I may get arrested and I'm not even doing anything. You know what I mean? You know, and man, you always feel bad. You know, it's like you're, you know, oh man, you know. Hey, but then you have a choice, you know, compassionate. Man, you know what? Sometimes I had fun with that. And, uh, no, no, I don't mean in a demented, sick kind of way. But I'd say, you know, hey, you know what? Because here's the next question was always this. Is it going to be a hard one? You know, and, it, and you know, it just always depends on the backswing, you know. And if I was working on my golf game at the time, you know, I kind of get that sucker up. <laughs> nah, just kidding. But anyway, and it, that was his natural question. Is it going to be a hard one? I don't know. Let's talk about it. Do you understand that what you did was wrong? Yeah. Okay, now, why was it wrong? And then we'll go through it. And then sometimes, you know what? I didn't even paddle Depending on his repentance, depending on his remorse, depending on his level of understanding. And all of our kids were different. One, I never had a paddle at all. Every time that she was wrong, man, she'd just break down. Oh, I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm so sorry. You still love me? Yeah, I love you. You know, and she, maybe she was working me. I don't know. <laughs> you know? I don't know. You know? As they get older, they get sharp, you know? They start figuring it out. Man, this has been working for three years now, man. 
You know, why mess with a good thing? And you know how it is. We're all different. And so the point is, you know, why do some people doubt? Well, I think a lot of it is because we're taught that, hey, you know what? Somehow or another, we're going to have liberty to live any way that we want. And that's not true. If you've ever been disciplined by God, you know how bad it hurts. And it stings like nothing else ever, you've ever been stung in your life. And you think it's bad getting called to the principal's office, man. You ain't seen nothing like having God call you on the carpet. So what I say is, hey, you're secure. For those who have come to know Christ, you're secure for all of eternity. Did I give you the freedom to live any way you want to do? Uh, you know what? With privileges come abuse. But God has a way of trying to, trying to minimize the amount of abuse. And he'll do whatever it takes to get you in line. That's just as simple as it gets. Wrong living. You know what? Hey, I'm in. Let's live it up. That's nonsense. That's, a, that's an immature Christian who thinks that. I'm in. Uh, let's live it up. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. You know, so you go through it, and that's the way it is. Number three is that there's a misunderstanding of carnality. And we've already addressed that. Hey, the Bible clearly teaches that there are those of us who, as we're growing in our walk with the Lord, are going to live a lifestyle that's not pleasing to God. On occasions. That's part of the growth process. It's part of messing your diapers. That's just the way it is. And it is clearly taught in the Bible. Clearly taught. And uh, so what I would say is, as you look at someone, you know, look at the prodigal son. That's a perfect example of a kid who had a, right, had a relationship with his father for all of eternity. But he decided to go off and live a lifestyle that was foolish. And he came to his senses. And you know what? His father was always there. He never left him, never forsook him, never cut him out of the will. He was always there. And when the boy repented and came to his senses, and he came up with the story saying, Man, you know what? Which ties into this. Came and said, You know what? I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. I'm not worthy to be a son. His father ran after him and met him before he even got to him. Didn't even let him apologize. Didn't even let him give the speech. He just put his arms around him and he hung on his neck and he kissed him and he hugged him and he rejoiced that his son came home. See, ladies and gentlemen, this is really the issue, isn't it? The feeling of unworthiness that we let our God down by what we just said or by what we just did. How could God ever forgive us? And the Bible clearly teaches that if you're a child, you're forgiven for all of eternity. The Bible clearly teaches, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 32, 5, David said, I acknowledge my sin to you, O God, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you have forgiven the guilt of my sin. One of the hardest things for people to believe is simply this, that as a child of God, you are secure for all of eternity because it's all based on what God has done. When you make a mistake and you sin before God, we need to believe God when He says that I have forgiven you for all of eternity and if you confess your sin, I will forgive you and cleanse it right now, forever. Because as far as the east is from the west, as so far I've removed my, your transgressions from you. It's not partial. It's complete. Let me close with the story. True story. 1937. The Golden Gate Bridge was completed. It was, at the time, the world's largest suspension bridge. And the entire project cost $77 million. And that was in 1937. 
But the problem was during the process of, the, of constructing the first phase, what happened was uh, there weren't very many safety devices that were up in that particular portion of the construction, and 23 men fell into the bay and, and, and died, obviously. And what happened was everyone was scared to death. And the project started going over budget, and it was taking a lot longer to do, and everybody was walking with extreme caution as they were walking along, and they were afraid. And so before the second phase began, they decided that what they needed to do was some, come up with some kind of safety device that they could put into the project. And at the time, they came up with what ended up costing $100,000, and it was a net that hung below the bottom of, of the beams. And it just stretched out. Through the process of the second phase, ten men fell into the net. They were bruised. They were shook up. They had to change their shorts. <laughs> but they were still alive. And they went back to work. And all the people who were working up there thought, man, this is great. I now can move throughout this project with freedom, with liberty. And you know what happened? They increased their production by 25%. Because they weren't afraid to make a mistake. And what I've seen is this. That when you don't understand that you are eternally secure. You walk like those guys did on that bridge. Is this wrong? Is this wrong? Is this going to jeopardize my relationship with God? And you know what we do? We don't do anything. We're afraid. We're afraid. But perfect love casts out all fear. God wants his people to be productive. He wants them to enjoy life. He wants you to move with freedom throughout life, knowing there's nothing that ever jeopardized your relationship with God, ever. But I'll tell you what, you didn't see any of those nuts diving into that net. And to me, that's sin. That's what that represents. How stupid it would be to dive off the bridge into the net because you know the net's going to catch you. You're going to be bruised. You're going to be battered. But hey, the good news is you're always going to be a kid. You're always going to be a child. And you'll never be disinherited. But wouldn't it be wonderful to live a life in total freedom in your relationship with the Lord, knowing that there's nothing that will ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That'll free you up. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this day that we could be here together, that we can look into your word. We thank you for it, that you're so clear that there is nothing that we do that deserves your love. That you've given us the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. That our only response to that is to receive that gift. You tell us that salvation is all of you, and it's not of us. None of us can take credit, none of us can brag or boast about it, but we can just turn all the glory and praise back to you. Lord, I just pray that we can be liberated by the truth of your word. For as Linus said, sound theology has a way of freeing up our minds. God, we just thank you for that. And we praise you that we can live more productive lives and not be afraid of jeopardizing our relationship with you, but serving you with love and gladness. And we just pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.